Hello, welcome back to the Heartled Wellness Podcast. I cannot believe it is the last episode of 2023. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened to all the episodes up to this point. You mean the world to me, and I am so grateful for you and for everything from this past year. I wanted to end this year with a little fun episode of a listener Q&A. I asked you on Instagram to ask any questions you wanted about health, wellness, nervous system, hormones, food, body, all the things. And I collected some of these questions, wrote them down, and I'm just going to answer them for you today. So you can listen and I'm going to talk about beginner tools to regulate the nervous system, what my favorite somatic practice is, how I approach weight loss in a non-extreme way, coffee enemas, phases of the menstrual cycle, lengthening a short menstrual cycle, thoughts on candida and supplements, and what to do if you feel uncomfortable in your body after gaining weight. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. Hopefully I can do more of these episodes in the future. And if you have a question that you would love for me to answer on a future episode, you can DM me on Instagram at heart.led.wellness and I will write it down, add it to the list. I love you. Thank you for being here. And let's just dive right in. Oh wait, also I forgot to say that nothing I say in this episode should be taken as medical advice. So please talk with your own functional medicine practitioner or naturopath before you make any changes in your life. Now let's dive in. Okay, starting out strong with question number one, which is what are beginner tools to regulate the nervous system? And I had a lot of questions about the nervous system and where we can start with the nervous system. If you've listened to my podcast before, you know that I talk a lot about the nervous system and how it relates to food and our bodies and our mental health, our physical health. And let's dive into it. So where can you start if you're new to learning about quote unquote regulating your nervous system? what can you do? Well, first of all, I want to say that regulating the nervous system really just means that you're expanding your ability and your nervous system flexibility to go in and out of the different states of the nervous system. So the goal isn't to just have a nervous system living in rest and digest, living in safety, living in regulation all the time. That isn't realistic and that actually isn't healthy. The goal is to be able to have a nervous system that is flexible and that can go in and out of sympathetic, parasympathetic easily without it being something that you get stuck in. So you can experience a stressor, you can feel the tension in your body, and then you can go back to rest and digest, back to regulation pretty quickly after that stressor has dissipated, after it is gone. The problem is when we experience stressors and then we don't allow our nervous systems or we don't have the tools to let our nervous system go into regulation and we end up getting stuck in one of the other states, whether it's fight or flight, freeze or shut down, collapse. That is when we have nervous system, quote unquote, dysregulation. And so the best place that you can start might be counterintuitive and a lot of people think that they need to dive into their trauma or go into these really difficult sensations they're feeling in order to heal their nervous system but in reality we need to focus on safety 
I always say safety first, just like when you get in a car and you buckle up, safety first. This is the key to regulating your nervous system. And so where you can start if you're new to this is looking for pleasurable, pleasant, neutral moments, whether it's in your body and you can literally bring your awareness to your body and try and find an area of your body that feels neutral or pleasurable. And this is something that I work with my clients on all the time. Even when you're experiencing stress, can you find a place in your body that feels neutral or feels okay? It might be your fingertips. It might be the tip of your nose. But finding an area of your body that feels pleasant or feels neutral is a really important part to creating regulation in your body. And another thing that you can do is focusing on glimmers. And I talk with my clients a lot about this and it really has changed my life and it has changed a lot of my clients' lives as well. And glimmers are little moments of joy, little moments of pleasure, moments of regulation that we can notice in our life. And instead of looking for triggers and looking for things that are triggering you, you can look for glimmers and things that are making you feel okay, whether that's the feeling of the sun on your face when you open the blinds in the morning or hearing the birds outside or sipping on some tea or coffee or whatever it is. Can you actually focus your attention on these neutral or pleasurable moments and really let yourself feel them fully? And the practice of doing this is actually how we learn to regulate the nervous system because we are giving our body more experiences of regulation and we're filling up our regulation bucket with proof that we are safe, that we are okay. Oftentimes, people who are really living in fight or flight or they've experienced a lot of trauma in their past or they have a dysregulated nervous system, they don't have a lot of evidence that the world is safe and a lot of their past experiences and thoughts on a daily basis are really reinforcing this idea that the world is unsafe, that their body is unsafe, and that it is a scary place to be. And so to come out of that mode, we have to start to collect experiences of safety. We have to consciously bring our awareness to moments that are safe, to moments that are pleasurable, and really let ourselves feel those moments So that way we have lots of evidence that the world is a safe place. And when we do this, this is how we are able to move through difficult emotions with more ease because we can't go through difficulty. We can't experience uncomfortable sensations in our body, which is the end goal of nervous system regulation work. We can't do that unless we have a big bucket of evidence that we are safe and that we can move through this challenge. So if you're new to nervous system regulation and you're wanting to know where to start, these are the two things that I would recommend for you to do. Look for areas of neutrality or pleasure or safety in your body and look for them in your life as well. Start to consciously focus your attention on moments, times, days when you feel okay and see if you can really let yourself feel okay in those moments. And doing that is going to give you so much more, so many more tools and so much more resource further down the line when you are working on regulating your nervous system. Along the same lines of this, another question I received is, what is your favorite somatic practice? And somatic practices are things that get us in our bodies. Somatic refers to body. 
And if you follow me on Instagram or you know anything about me, then this isn't going to be a surprise. But for me, dancing is my absolute favorite somatic practice. It is something that I use in many different moments of my life, whether I'm experiencing more of those quote-unquote negative emotions or really positive emotions. Dancing is a way that I can really allow myself to feel that sensation in my body, to move that sensation through my body, and to process energy and process emotions. So definitely dancing is my absolute favorite, but a second favorite is kind of along the lines of dancing, but it is a practice that I've developed over the past few years that really helped me crack open my heart and allow myself to feel my emotions in my body instead of intellectualizing them and this is a practice of sitting on the floor turning on some music that matches whatever mood i'm in and just letting my body move and express how i'm feeling and it doesn't always look like dance a lot of times it's more ugly (laughs) movements that i would not consider dance but i'm just processing whatever emotion that i'm feeling through my body whether i'm tightening up every muscle in my body and curling into a ball or even punching pillows or screaming into a blanket or softly gently moving and running my hands through my hair or doing whatever feels right in that moment to match the energy that i'm feeling in my body this was a huge practice for me in learning how to feel emotions in my body instead of just thinking about them or reading about emotional intelligence or listening to podcasts about emotions and actually bringing my awareness to my body and how i am feeling so anything that gets you into your body whether it's dancing or a practice like that where you're just primally moving energy through your body is so important for nervous system regulation and for expanding your ability to hold life in your body so you can be more present more confident and more at ease in your life next question is how do you approach diet with clients who may be looking to shed some pounds slash fat non-extreme oh boy i could make a really long episode about this question and i want to say first of all that if you are wanting to lose weight The first thing is knowing that your health is the priority. And so if you have, if you don't have a period or you have irregular imbalanced hormones, then that is not a time to go after weight loss. So the first requirement for this, if, if this was a client I was working with would be how long have you had your period back? Is your period regular? Is it consistent? Is it balanced? Is there evidence that your body is feeling safe? Because if your body is still feeling unsafe and dysregulated and there's still hormonal imbalances and things like that going on then trying to lose weight even if you're doing it in a non-extreme way might be problematic and might cause more problems so that's the first prerequisite and then second of all i would talk with this client about what their intention is behind wanting to lose weight is it coming from a genuine place where you genuinely want to improve your health Or is it coming from a traumatized place where we feel like we have to look a certain way in order to feel loved or feel accepted and we are struggling feeling loved and feeling accepted in our body right now? Because if your intention behind this is to feel accepted and to feel good enough, 
it's never going to work because you will learn and i'm sure maybe you have learned through trying to do to do this in the past that weight loss is never going to bring you a sense of worthiness or confidence or love for yourself if you are not doing the inner work at the same time because it's not really our bodies that create that sense of self-esteem that comes from an internal sense of regulation and of learning how to accept all parts of ourselves and I know many people including myself when I was at my thinnest or my lowest weight that was when I hated my body the most which is so ironic because we think that weight loss is going to bring us what we need when in reality that's not the true answer it's that inner work that really brings us that feeling of enoughness and feeling of self-esteem and at the same time I want to say that it is not bad to have aesthetic body goals. This might be a really controversial opinion in the food freedom intuitive eating world. A lot of people talk about body positivity and dropping our desires for weight loss and only focusing on healing our relationship with food and really not focusing on our weight at all. And I really disagree with this because I do think that it's okay to want to look a certain way as long as it is as it is within healthy means and healthy reasons and pursuing aesthetic body goals does not have to be a disordered thing it all goes back to the way that you're approaching it if you're approaching it in a way that jeopardizes your mental health or your physical health like you lose your period your hair is falling out your thyroid is imbalanced your bone health is being depleted or you're feeling really weak and exhausted that is not healthy that is un and that is not prioritizing your physical health and i'm sure it's affecting your mental health as well but at the same time if you're doing it in a non-extreme way like this person was asking then it actually can be healthy and maybe it will actually improve your hormones or improve your health if you're doing it in a balanced way so what I'm trying to say is, first of all, you need to ask yourself, do you really need to lose weight? Or is this a body image thing? Is this a invitation for you to heal deeper roots with your relationship with your body? And only you know deep down which one of these it is. I am not a proponent of going after extreme thinness and trying to be unrealistically thin. And at the same time, if you are wanting to just be at a healthy weight for your body, that is totally okay. So how do you do this? How would I approach this with a client? Let's say that they do actually have a healthy amount of weight that they want to lose. It's not an extreme way. They are working on healing their relationship with their body, even at their current weight. And they're learning how to love themselves even at their current weight. And they know that pursuing weight loss is not going to fill this void of not feeling good enough it's only going to add to their health so how would we go about this well the way that we can do this in a non-extreme way is first of all not counting calories counting points counting macros weighing measuring these things just create more obsession and more fear and control around food so we really want to tune in with our body's own calorie calculators which is our hunger and fullness levels our hunger and fullness in our body this will give us the information that we need in order to lose weight in a sustainable healthy way 
our hunger indicates that we need fuel, that we're in a deficit, and our fullness indicates that we have eaten enough in that moment. And so you can really dial in your hunger and fullness levels to match what you're eating more accurately, and that is a really great way to lose weight in a non-extreme way because you're not going to be feeling deprived or obsessive or rigid around calories or around certain foods when you are really just focusing your attention on your body and how you are feeling. The other thing that I want to mention is overeating and binge eating because these are two things that often cause weight gain and oftentimes the reason why we overeat and binge eat is because we restrict our food and so we get into the cycle of restricting and then binging, restricting and binging over and over again. And so in order to heal from overeating and binge eating, we have to first of all learn how to to stop restricting and then we have to learn how to feel emotions in our body because binge eating and overeating, I believe, are often self-soothing strategies and they're ways that we soothe a dysregulated nervous system, whether we're feeling restless or stressed or even we're feeling bad about our bodies. Sometimes just feeling bad about the way you look can lead to a lot of sensation and uncomfortable feelings in your nervous system and then we eat as a way to soothe ourselves from this feeling and so it really turns into this loop where we are feeling uncomfortable in our bodies and then we're eating to soothe that comfort and then we feel even more uncomfortable and you can see how this continues to snowball. So learning how to actually feel emotions in your body without soothing with food is a huge part of healthy weight loss because then food gets to just be food. Food is what we use to satisfy our hunger and it's not taking on a bigger role of satisfying our emotions. From a really practical standpoint, we also would want to focus on what your meals look like, the composition of your meals. Eating really boring, balanced meals is really the answer. We can get so lost in health and wellness world, social media trends, thinking that we need to follow one extreme way of eating or this way of eating is going to solve all your problems, when in reality, it's just the boring basics, balanced meals with proteins, fats, carbs, fiber in each meal. That really is the answer. And making sure that we're eating enough vegetables and fruits is also really important so we can get into a very gentle calorie deficit without it being extreme, without feeling hungry, so it is sustainable. Because you want whatever you do to lose weight to be something that you can maintain for the rest of your life. There is no sense of, or there is no concept of maintenance mode. We just eat in a way that fuels a a healthy body size and and then we continue to eat that way. For the rest of our lives so we don't need to eat a certain way to lose weight and then go back to a different way to maintain it whatever you do to lose weight is what you will have to do to keep it off so making sure that it's something that is sustainable something you can do for the rest of your life that is a huge sign that it is not extreme and it is sustainable so it's not about eliminating entire food groups it's not about restricting yourself from ever eating desserts or soul foods You have to find a way to do this that includes all of those things so that way it is something you can do for the rest of your life. And obviously, if you were one of my clients, I would work with you much more deeply on breaking down each of these things to actually apply it to your life, but I hope that gives you some overall tips. Next question is, can we talk about coffee enemas? LOL, tell us more. 
I know this person is asking this question because I have been sharing on my Instagram stories a lot about this functional medicine protocol that I am doing right now in my own life and coffee enemas have been a big part of that. So I used to do coffee enemas all the time a few years ago when I was really working on healing my skin, my acne, and it was a big piece of my journey. And I hadn't done them in several years, but recently I had mono, mononucleosis, which is a viral infection a few months ago. And ever since I had that infection, I really struggled with a lot of lingering symptoms, which is something known as post-viral syndrome, which is really quite common, especially with other viruses that we're experiencing right now. And I had been experiencing really debilitating brain fog and like neurological symptoms, nervous system symptoms with my heart rate. And I could really feel my vagus nerve. This might sound crazy, but just because I know about the nervous system, I could feel my vagus nerve activating and firing and feeling dysregulated. And it was really affecting so many areas of my life. And so I know all about this stuff. This is my passion. This is what I went to school for. So I know all about functional medicine and I knew that I needed to give my body some support to do some cleanup, to rebalance my gut microbiome, to work on removing things like parasites, which house viruses inside of them, to support my liver, my gallbladder, my lymph, my extracellular matrix, all of these things I know I knew needed some support. So I have been working through a four-month protocol that involves a lot of supplements and infrared saunas and coffee enemas. And so coffee enemas, the reason why I am doing this is because it helps to support liver detoxification. I can make a whole episode in the future about this and I will definitely share my own journey of healing post-viral syndrome because I know I've had a lot of people ask me about that and I can go into that in the future in more detail. But for now, just to talk about coffee enemas, the reason why we do these is because coffee enemas contain a certain compound that triggers the gallbladder to dilate the bile ducts to release more bile. And we hold a lot of toxins in our bile. And so dilating these bile ducts and allowing the bile to be flushed out and released more easily is really helpful for supporting the liver and removing toxins from the liver. And coffee enemas have have also been shown to upregulate glutathione production, which glutathione is the body's master antioxidant. It's one of the biggest antioxidants that we produce in our liver. And coffee enemas have been shown to increase glutathione production by 500 to 700%, which is massive. So by doing coffee enemas, you're actually increasing your body's ability to detox on its own, especially your liver and your gallbladder. And this has been really important for me in healing my liver and helping support my gut with removing parasites and things like that. And it might sound crazy if you've never done it before. It might sound gross if you've never done it before, but it's actually a very relaxing, calm, regulating process. There is also evidence that it is very beneficial for the nervous system because it engages the vagus nerve. It's like a workout for your vagus nerve and it does create a lot of mental clarity and relaxation afterwards. So I highly recommend and if you are wanting more 
answers on this, you have more questions about this, I will make a future episode diving way more deeply into parasites and viruses and coffee enemas and infrared saunas and how all of this impacts our nervous systems and our physical health, our skin, our hormones, our gut, all of that. The next question is, can you please explain the phases of our cycle for a newbie to better understand what to expect? Absolutely. And sometimes I get a little bit carried away when I'm talking about the menstrual cycle because I just assume that everyone knows the four phases. It really drives me crazy and makes me so sad realizing how many of us women were not taught the truth about our bodies and about the menstrual cycle. And I really want everyone to know this information. So I'm going to break it down really simply for you. And I will probably have to make a, another episode that explains this in much more depth. But for now, the four phases of a menstrual cycle. I want you to think of day one of your monthly cycle. When I'm talking about the menstrual cycle, I'm not just talking about your period. I'm talking about the entire month of your cycle. So from day one to day 28 or 30, whatever it is for you. So day one is the first day of your period, and this is considered the menstrual phase. So anytime you are bleeding, that is the menstrual phase. It might be three days, it might be five days, it might be seven days. Everybody is different. After you transition off of your period, you are in the follicular phase. The follicular phase of the cycle is when the follicle is developing inside of your ovary. The follicle contains the egg that is going to be released. So you can think follicular follicle. This is the period after your period, after your menstrual cycle, after your bleed, and before ovulation. So we have menstrual, we have follicular. The ovulatory phase is five to six to seven-ish days. It's different for everybody. And actually, the ovulation only occurs on one day. It is a split moment in the middle of your cycle when an egg is released from the ovary and makes its way into the fallopian tube. But there is a buildup to ovulation, which we refer to as the ovulatory phase. And during this buildup, you're having a peak in your hormones, a surge of luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone, estrogen as well, that is moving towards this main event of ovulation and in those few days before ovulation you might be experiencing more cervical fluid which is a key indicator that ovulation is coming and then on the day of ovulation immediately after if you are tracking your temperature you will notice a spike in your temperature in your basal body temperature that will remain elevated for the rest of your cycle until you get your period So I hope that's not too overwhelming, but we have the menstrual phase, we have the follicular phase, we have the five-ish day ovulatory phase, and then immediately after ovulation, after the, the egg is released from the ovary, makes its way into the fallopian tube, we enter into the luteal phase. And the luteal phase is the 10 to 14 days after ovulation before your period. This is the longest phase of the menstrual cycle. And in the luteal phase, there is a gland. It is basically the remnants of the follicle that the egg developed inside of. So the egg is released from the follicle, goes into the fallopian tube, and the leftover follicle turns into something called the corpus luteum. The corpus luteum secretes progesterone. And this is why your basal body temperature goes up right after ovulation is because of the progesterone in your body. And so during the luteal phase, you have the corpus luteum releasing progesterone for 10 to 14 days. 
And then when that progesterone level drops, you will get your period and that starts day one all over again. So during the luteal phase, this is when we are oftentimes many people experience PMS symptoms, especially if they have imbalanced hormones, but this is a time when we feel more slow. We want to do more relaxing activities. There's often this like nesting feeling of wanting to prepare and organize things. And that all leads up to day one of our period, which is when our hormone levels are the lowest. They will be all month and we are feeling the most inward and slow and quiet. So I need to make an episode breaking down each of the phases and what we can do in each of them in terms of nutrition and exercise and mental emotional things, even how the nervous system responds in each of these phases. But in general, I hope that gives you a better idea of the four phases of your cycle. And along the same lines of questions about the cycle, this next question says, I have a cycle every 20 days. Any tips to distance time between? It's so frequent. So I would have to know more questions about, I would have to ask you more questions about your hormones to actually have a better understanding. And this is not medical advice. This is just my opinion, but I would want to know if you have a short luteal phase or a short follicular phase. So if you are ovulating really early in your period, like on day 10 or even day nine or earlier, then that could be why your period or your menstrual cycle is so short overall but my inkling or my intuition because this is very common is that you actually have a really short luteal phase so you might be ovulating in the middle of your cycle on day 14 15 16 somewhere around there and then if you are only having a five day luteal phase when our luteal phase should be 10 to 14 days that could be why you are getting your period every 20 days And this is actually something known as luteal phase defect or luteal defect, where we do not have sufficient progesterone levels to sustain a full luteal phase. And the corpus luteum, the gland that releases progesterone, disintegrates early and then we get our period early. And the reason for this usually comes back to two things, stress and toxins. And toxins kind of fits in the stress category, so it really comes back to stress. And this could be stress in the form of physical stress, like under eating, not getting enough nutrients, enough macronutrients or micronutrients. It could be from too much fasting or too much intense workout, not having enough body fat. All of these things are physical stressors on the body that can deplete our progesterone levels. Another thing that is a physical stressor is toxins. And toxins can also impact our progesterone levels because it creates a cortisol release. It creates stress on the body. The body is dealing with chronic infections, whether it's parasitic infections or bacterial or viral infections that are ongoing. It really can impact our thyroid health. It can impact our adrenals and our ability to handle stress. And then, of course, we have mental and emotional stressors. If you are extremely busy and stressed out with school or work, you're not getting enough sleep, your nervous system is dysregulated, you don't feel safe in your body, you have a really loud inner critic, you're constantly beating yourself up, you're a perfectionist, you're obsessive, you're a control freak. These things can definitely impact our progesterone levels. We need progesterone to create cortisol, and so there's something called 
the pregnenolone steel or the progesterone steel, which is basically when we are really stressed, our body takes some of our progesterone to turn into cortisol instead of it being used for hormonal reasons. So the summary of this story is if you have a really short cycle and it's because your luteal phase is really short, you really want to try to increase your luteal phase. And the way that you can do that is by supporting your body to feel safer and to feel less stressed. So that might mean eating more, resting more, getting more sleep, eating a wider variety of foods, balancing your meals, making sure you're eating enough carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. It might mean taking a break from exercise for some time, doing some really intentional detoxification practices to remove those toxins that could be interfering with your hormones, and working on your nervous system, making sure that you feel comfortable and safe in your body so your hormones can thrive. Obviously, there could be medical reasons for this, so I would really encourage you to meet with a functional practitioner or a naturopathic doctor to make sure everything is okay, but luteal phase defect is something that is really common in our modern world with our busy lives that women are living, and that could be part of what you're experiencing. Next question. Thoughts on taking candida support long-term? I did so well on it. Okay, I have so much to say on this. And candida is some, it's a fungal overgrowth, if you are not familiar with that. It's actually a very common fungal overgrowth that many people experience. And partially that is because of the foods that we are eating. We are eating a lot of highly processed foods that are high in processed sugar and unhealthy fats that really create a breeding ground for candida, but it also has to do with blood sugar regulation. Having a lot of glucose in our bloodstream can lead to fungal overgrowths, so making sure that your blood sugar is regulated is important, but I always like to ask the deeper questions of why is candida there in the first place? Because if you only feel good when you are taking supplements that help to remove candida or lower the amount of candida or fungus in your body, and then you stop taking them and it comes right back, then that is a clear sign that we are not addressing the actual roots of the problem. And one reason why we have candida is because of heavy metal toxicity. Candida actually absorbs mercury. So if we have a lot of mercury in our body, if you have amalgam fillings in your mouth or you've been exposed to heavy metals, which all of us have, it's just the nature of our modern world, you could have a high level of heavy metals in your body and that is creating fuel for the candida in your gut or wherever it is living. Another thing that can be happening happening is parasites. If we have a parasitic overgrowth in our body, which everybody has parasites, there is a parasitic doctor, he always says, if you have a pulse, you have a parasite, which is true. And so if you have a lot of parasites in your gut and you haven't really done a lot of intentional detoxification to balance that out, it can lower your immune system. Your immune system is so focused on dealing with this parasitic overgrowth that it doesn't have a lot of energy to deal with other things. And because of that, it can lead to things like candida getting out of control. Because all of us have candida, having a little bit in your body is not a problem. The problem is when it gets out of control. So what I would invite you to do is to look deeper and maybe address these other root causes like parasites, heavy metals, things that are creating the perfect environment for candida to be there in the first place. 
at the same time addressing your nutrition, your blood sugar, so that way your gut is in a really healthy state and you're creating a gut microbiome that favors a balanced amount of bacteria. Obviously, it would be really helpful to work with a practitioner on this and to go through intentional supplementation practices that can address these things in the right order it's super super important to do this in the right order and you don't want to be removing heavy metals before you remove parasites and you don't want to be removing parasites before you support your drainage pathways like your liver lymph kidneys gallbladder colon etc so really doing it in the correct order and doing it with guidance and with intentional means is very very important so whether you want to work with myself or another person who is educated on this, I highly encourage you to do so. So that way you don't need to be taking candida killing herbs for the rest of your life and you're actually addressing the roots of this. Next question, do you work with a practitioner for choosing your supplements? The answer is yes and no. I personally have so much integrative healthcare knowledge from my studies and what I have learned, the courses I've taken degrees I have that I oftentimes am my own practitioner. If it is something that I know how to deal with on my own, I feel educated in it and I have experience with it, then oftentimes I just create my own protocols for myself and it work through it and usually it works. If I do get into a situation where I feel like everything that I know isn't helping me, then I will find an aligned practitioner to give me more guidance. But overall, I do recommend that you work with someone unless you also have a very in-depth background on how supplementation works and how you can go about that process because it is very possible to make things worse trying to do it on your own. Like I said previously, if you're doing things in the wrong order, you're not supporting certain drainage pathways, you're underdosing or overdosing on certain supplements, that can really cause more harm than good and leave you in a more depleted or imbalanced state. So I highly recommend working with somebody that knows these things unless you yourself are a health nerd like me and you have spent all of your free time over the past 10 years learning about this stuff and you feel really confident in your knowledge. Okay, the last question that I will answer for today is... I gained a lot of weight this year, so I feel uncomfortable in my body and I am overeating. What do I do? There's so much to break apart in this question. First of all, there is the fact that you say you feel uncomfortable in your body because you gained weight. And when I hear that, I immediately think about your nervous system. Because when we feel uncomfortable in our body, when we feel like we cannot feel secure even the word insecurity feeling insecure in your body means not secure not safe you're not feeling safe in your body and this is going to impact your relationship with food and so before we even talk about the overeating or talk about your relationship with food i would want you to explore a way that you could find safety find security in your body right now and this isn't dependent on your weight. It is, has nothing to do with the way you look or how much you weigh or what size clothing you're in. You can feel secure. You can feel safe in your body no matter what you weigh or what you look like. And the way that we do that is not about loving your body or looking at yourself in the mirror and saying affirmations and learning how to love the way you look. It's a somatic practice. It's something that you learn how to do 
with your eyes closed, not with your eyes open. It has nothing to do with the way you look and it has everything to do with how you feel somatically in your body. And so just like I was talking about at the beginning of this episode, can you find a place in your body that feels comfortable? You said you feel uncomfortable in your body. I'm curious where you feel that in your body. Do you feel that like a tense sensation in your legs or a heaviness in your stomach or a fast buzzing anxious feeling in your chest? Where do you feel that discomfort in your body? How do you know that you feel uncomfortable in your body? Where is that information coming from? And then the next thing I would ask you is, is there a part of your body that does feel comfortable? Can you find a part of yourself that feels safe and that feels comfortable? And can you focus your awareness on that part and just sit in that, in that moment? Can you sit with with that awareness on that part that feels good and see what happens? See what happens to the discomfort in your body when you focus on a part of your body that does feel comfortable. So this is really important because you are going to train yourself on how you can feel safe in your body regardless of what you weigh. And I would love to work with you on this to the person who asked this question because it's so much easier to do this when you have a person holding that safe container for you. And then when we talk about overeating, overeating is often related to the same thing. The reason that we eat more food than our body is actually wanting is often because we don't feel safe and it is actually a soothing mechanism that we rely on to help bring more regulation to our nervous system because it distracts us from the feeling that we're feeling. When we have food moving through our digestive system, we can focus our awareness on that instead of any sensation that's going on in the nervous system. And then, of course, there are lots of feel-good hormones that are released when we eat a lot of, of food. And so it is a way that you are soothing yourself, whether it's soothing the discomfort you feel from the way you look, or it could be discomfort that you feel in other areas of your life, whether it's stress or anxiety or overwhelm or not feeling enough or not feeling confident. It's a way that you're soothing yourself. So reframing it that way and learning to accept that part of you and realize that that part of you is trying to serve you and it's not like there's something wrong or something broken with you. You're literally trying to soothe yourself in that moment and food happens to be the way that you are going about doing that. So like always, it comes back to the nervous system and learning how to feel comfortable in your body and safe in your body without food And that way food gets to just be food and it doesn't have to be a coping mechanism. And if any of this resonates with you or you're feeling curious about this, I would love to work with you on these things. This is what I do. This is my passion. This is my favorite thing to do in the world because it changed my own life and it changes my clients' lives every single week. And I am just so beyond grateful for all of my clients and for the work that this work does for the healing impact that this work does it truly is life-changing and it gives me goosebumps thinking about it i'm so grateful thank you so much to everyone who has listened to these episodes over this past year i am so excited for the future of heart-led wellness and this podcast and i'm so 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 grateful for everything that has unfolded in this year i love you i hope you have a an amazing new year celebration and I will see you in 2024.